Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Thank you so much again for watching these videos. It is my continual prayer that these are a a help and a blessing to you. And uh, I thank you for sharing them. I thank you for uh, your responding to them and and commenting on them and uh, sending me messages and contacting me and and uh, the great discussion that this book has provoked in God's people. And I hope it will continue to be a blessing and a help. And as long as the Lord will allow me, we're going to keep pushing through this book. We are, we're going to start in Haggai chapter one, verses 12 through 15. We are coming near to the end of chapter one. I think we've had about 16 or 17 lessons so far from the book. And um, we're just going to keep progressing as long as the Lord will allow. So Haggai chapter one, verses 12 through 15. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts their God, in the four and twentieth day, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The desire of any child of God is to approach life with the presence of the Lord. The Lord promised he would never leave us nor forsake us, but that has not stopped us, that is his people, from leaving him when the situation appears convenient. In the moment, our selfish desires override our desire for the presence of the true and living God. God remains. It's man that leaves God. It's not God that leaves man. God is in the light. And as long as we want to be in the light, the Lord is right there with us. (laughs) But as long as you want to walk in darkness, the Lord will be right there in the light waiting for you when you come back. Now, our motive in these instances is to have our sin and the Lord also. Living this way demonstrates the unstable manner of a double-minded man. When we set out in life to please our flesh, we do so at the expense of pleasing God. You can't have it both ways. The two are diametrically opposed one to the other. We can either walk in light 
or darkness, in the spirit or the flesh. When we live in obedience to God's word, we find ourselves walking in light and truth. This is pleasing to God. The Lord's response, I am with you. If you're going to walk in the light where God is in the light, I am with you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But our disobedience serves as our rejection of God's help, our, our rejection of his presence. And we may even encourage him to set himself against us. We want to avoid that at all costs. <laughs> it is inordinately wonderful to have God's presence and God's help. It is horrendous to cause God to set himself against us. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Now, in the book of Haggai, Judah's repentance was positive. They repented. They got to work on the house of God. They, they began doing uh, what, it, what it was they had neglected for so long, and it pleased God. And, and so we want to examine this from a positive perspective and a negative perspective. And, and see how, uh, you know, the title of our message today is, I am with you. We want to we get a good grasp of this idea of the Lord being with us based on these two uh, case studies, if you will. Judah's repentance in Haggai's day, day is a refreshing moment of repentance and obedience to the preaching of God's word. If any change will be effectuated in this world, it will come by way of faithfully preaching the word of God. We understand God's word to be the incorruptible seed. But somehow we shy away from sowing such a seed. We succumb to the pressure this world places on conformity, and we change the Lord's message in order to appease man. Haggai did no such thing. He was the Lord's messenger, and he preached the Lord's message. Judah's rare response, they decided to forsake their position of disobedience and move to a position of obedience. This caused the Lord to send Haggai back to the people and inform them, the Lord is now with them rather than against them. Now, what was it they obeyed? Look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So the Lord was so clear. This is what I want. This is what I expect. If you will do this, okay, if... if if you will obey me in this, I'll be pleased. I'll be glorified. The temple will be built. Things will be wonderful. Now, notice the Lord is pleased when he is glorified. He is glorified when he is pleased. There's, there's, a, there's an interconnection there that we need to uh, maybe think about sometimes. Uh, but, but his being glorified is accomplished when we obey his word. We don't get to set out and, and assume what we think will glorify God. We got to search the word of God and say, okay, what does the Lord want us to do? And in obeying that, God is the Lord is glorified and he is pleased. He is pleased and he is glorified and he's right there with us. <laughs> it's, it's a win-win situation all the way around. When we live in disobedience, the only, the only, the only, Part of us, it seems to win, is our flesh, and the end result of that is never good. The flesh wars against the spirit. It crowds God out. It pushes God out, it, and, it, and it causes him displeasure. It gives him no glory at all. We, we cause him to set himself against us 
because we're pleasing ourselves. And, and when we're pleasing ourselves, we are no doubtedly living in sin and doing something we shouldn't be doing, participating in something we should not be participating in. And so um, we need to do all we can to avoid that at all costs, at all costs. The Lord's directive is to go up into the mountain, bring wood, and build the house. And so far as the people were willing to do that, the Lord would be pleased and glorified. Now, up to this point, Judah had refused to build the Lord's house. The longer they put off building the temple, excuses became necessary to facilitate justifying their disobedience. And that's what we do. It starts off with just a little, a little step in the wrong direction. But then weeks later, months later, years down the road, we, we, we've got to build, we've got to build a mountain of excuses to help justify why it is we found ourselves so far removed from God. And, and, and he's so displeased with us, but the Lord is giving them a direct path. The Lord's given you and I a direct path to please him, um, to please him, to glorify him and, and to obey him. And this is, you know, this direct path to obedience to God is no more clearly seen than in salvation. There is one way to have your sins forgiven. But if you walk around anywhere in this world and you stop people and you ask them, how can you have your sins forgiven? How can you go to heaven? How can you please God? And they will give you 25 laundry lists, you know, in length worth of, of steps to take and things to do and, and how I'm just a good person. And, and you, no, you don't understand. God's just so excited about me that he, he's not going to make me go to hell. He's just going to, he has a special way for me to go to heaven. So in no other area is the confusion greater, and in no other area is our obedience to what God said regarding salvation a direct path to pleasing God. That, that area of repentance where we, where, we, where we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, for when we put our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died to pay for our sins, God said, you trust that, I will, I will forgive your sins and save your soul. You reject that, I will cast you into hell. So it, it's, it's so clearly seen there. But there's so much confusion surrounding salvation. And it's unbelievable simplicity. God made salvation so easy, so simple, so clear. And uh, we complicate it in a horrendous way. So Haggai 1 verse 12 then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. They made a decision to leave off their disobedience and move to a position of obedience. What a blessing. This is where the struggle is with that. We look at what it is. We look at the sin that we have come to love so much, and we struggle with letting go of that sin, re repenting of that sin, removing that sin from our life, and turning in a direction and living and doing whatever the area of, of life it is, rather than living in disobedience and then falling in love with the idea of remaining in that position of disobedience. When it's time to let go of that, especially the longer we cling to it, it's harder and harder and harder. And we begin to make excuses and we begin to blame God and we begin to say ridiculous things like God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be, he doesn't want me to be pleased. And it's not about your pleasure. 
But what you would find is if you would live a life that is obedient to God, you would please God rather than yourself, and that would produce in your life a measure of happiness and joy and peace, and and, and your life would be built on a firm foundation, and you would have God's presence there with you and his his desire to help you as long as you're moving in a, in a direction of obedience to his word and living in accord with his will as outlined by his word. <laughs> That's the key to all of this. But you think if you, if you could just continue to be disobedient to God and stay in this place of disobedience, you think at some point happiness would be found there. Joy would be, would be found there. And it's not. It never will. Sure, there's pleasure in sin for a season. But then you're going to reap. You're going to reap what you have sown, and it's not going to go well. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be It's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be harder. <laughs> it doesn't get easier. It, it's just that you keep thinking, okay, if I just keep going in this direction, just around the corner, that place of happiness and peace I'm searching for, it, it, it's just around the corner. It's just over the hill. <laughs> and you never get there. Not until you repent and you turn and you trust in the Lord and you, and you obey the Lord. That's, that's, that's where your happiness comes from. That's where joy comes from. That's where peace comes from. Everything everyone wants, it, it comes through obedience to God. But people would rather reject that God than, than offer their obedience to him. It makes no sense. I could, you know, if if I could point out to people, here's the path to happiness. Obey the word of the Lord. Well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'd rather stay in my sin and reap what it's going to provide for me rather than sowing in, unto righteousness and, and obeying the Lord and, and pleasing the Lord. I, you know, it's just a total mess. Now, this theme continues in Haggai chapter two, verses one through five. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. So the Lord calls their attention to this new temple in building, and he asks the people, so <laughs> compared to what you had before, how does this look? How do you see it? And we've talked about this. We had, a, you know, I believe we had a, a pretty extensive lesson on this. Uh, we may talk about it more when we get to this this point in the book. How do you see it? Now you have a visual marker for what your sin has cost you. Now you get to compare this temple in its physical stature compared to the previous temple in its physical stature, and you can see what your sin has cost you. But that wasn't the Lord's point. Uh, the point was he was going to use this temple because of their current state of obedience. You know, praise God, our sins are, are removed from his memory as far as the east is from the west. 
And we want it to stay that way. Praise the Lord. But, and God can still use us so long as we will, we will move into a state of obedience and stay there and obey the Lord there and live there and remain there and, 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 and not venture out into to the world of disobedience. It's, it's unbelievably important that we remain faithful to the Lord and his word. The Lord calls their attention to this new temple. You know, how do you see it? And then he gives them further instruction. But this, this instruction is prefaced on the fact that the Lord is with them. And the Lord is with them as long as they are obedient. You say, well, I thought, the, I, thought the, I thought God's love was unconditional. You thought wrong. It's not. It is conditional. <laughs> You've got to obey him. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust in his son. He's going to love you straight to hell if you don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the, for the salvation of your soul. So you got to get these dreamy ideas out of your mind and, and step back into reality. Leave the movies behind. They're not helping. <laughs> They're not helping in any way. First, he says, be strong. This command is given to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the residue of the people. This command, it does not appear the obedience to this command is something the Lord is doing for them. The Lord shows up and he says, be strong. It's not some mystical, magical thing that he is applying to their life. It's an instruction he's giving them. I want Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people. I want you all be strong. Don't be weak. Don't back down. Don't back off. Don't quit. Be faithful. Be strong. Press on. Continue to work. The second command he gives them and work. So I want you to gather your strength, whatever you got left, and I want you to work. Don't stop. You know, the modern uh, woke crowd has stolen this term. You got to do the work, whatever that means. Uh, last I checked, they were opposed to working. They want free checks. They don't want to work. Um, God's mentality is his people work. Be strong. Work. Don't be weak. Work. You know, they are, they are progressing toward the completion of the temple, but even when the temple is complete, service to the Lord is still outstanding. You're going to plant a church? Okay, then what? You done? You're going to build a building? Okay, then what? Doesn't have to be maintained? Don't you need people to meet there if that's the point? If that's the purpose? There, there's... There is work to be done now, and then when that work is done, there's more work to be done when it comes to service to the Lord Jesus Christ. In this life, we will never reach a place of retirement when it comes to serving the Lord. We got to be strong. We got to work. Third, he tells them, Fear ye not. God has not given us the spirit of fear. We become fearful when we get our eyes on the trouble before us rather than on the Savior who is with us. Now, I understand that is, <laughs> that's a mouthful. And that is easy to say, not always easy to do, especially when you're in the heat of some battle that's going on in your life. But be strong, work, serve the Lord, and, and don't be fearful. A proper fear of the Lord will help us direct our fears appropriately. And again, here the Lord commands them, fear ye not. If if you fear the Lord, you're going to obey his commandments. And if his commandment is don't be fearful, 
Well, let's get busy being obedient. I understand this. These may not be easy, uh, but they are worth our attention. This this is a command. It is not a suggestion, and it is not the Lord who causes them in some mystical way to lack fear. He is telling them. He is telling you and I. He's telling his people. I want you to make a conscious decision. I'm not going to let whatever this is in front of me scare me. I fear God. I have no room to fear this. The Lord is with me. All of this is possible because of their obedience to the Lord and his promise that he would be with them. When we strengthen ourselves to obey the Lord, when we work in service to the Lord, and when we, when we fear the Lord rather than fearing man or fearing the trouble that is set before us, God is with us. This is a constant all throughout scripture. If you're going to be disobedient, <laughs> it's, it's God you need to fear because he might set himself against you. But if you're going to be obedient to God, he says, I am with you. I am right there with you. Don't be fearful. I am with you. Judah faced real troubles, but they had God's promise. You obey me and I will be with you. That's something. That is not to be taken lightly. That's incredible. Now, this was not always the case with Judah. Um, Let's look at an, at an example of Judah's negative response to God's word, to God's preaching, to God's prophet. Um, God was not with them in this case. And it was, you'll see, it'll be demonstrated in what we're going to read. It was specifically prefaced on their decision to either be obedient or be disobedient. They had two, pro- they were given promises in two directions. You obey me, you obey my word. I am with you. You disobey me. I am setting myself against you. I will push against you. I will chastise you. I will fight you. And in this case, he said, I'm going to put you to death. It's not a good idea to push back against God. Not only because of what he will do to you and the negative repercussions, that is one side. But when you're obedient to him, the blessings are abundant. The goodness is abundant. It's overwhelmingly good. So we don't want to look at it from just a negative perspective. And that's what most people do. They just say, well, you know, if I don't obey him, he's going to be mean to me. Yeah, he is. You're going to hurt yourself and you're going to cause God to fight against you. And, and you don't have to. That's your choice. Or you could be obedient and have God's presence and his help and his strength and his stir your spirit and he would bless you and help you. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, there's a positive, re, there's a positive return to obedience and a negative return to disobedience. And the point is to help you fear God to such an extent that you not only don't want him upset with you, but you want to be in his presence. You want his blessing. You want his help. It's meant to inspire in you fear in the negative direction and for you to cling to him in the positive direction. And so we want to want to make sure we do these things. Now let's look at a similar situation involving the same people in the promised land. As we have mentioned before, Judah's repentance in Haggai was an anomaly. The norm was for Judah to persecute the prophets and even put them to death for preaching God's message. In the book of Jeremiah, we have a clear example of what happens when Judah failed to repent but instead became emboldened in their rebellion against the Lord. Jeremiah 42, verses 1 through 6, 
Then all the captains of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came near and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we, we may walk and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah, the prophet said unto them, I have heard you behold, I will pray unto the Lord, your God, according to your words, be careful what you ask for, especially if you have an ulterior motive, you're not going to trick God. So I will pray unto the Lord, your God, according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever things the Lord shall answer you. I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. (laughs) It's like Jeremiah's trying to let them know, are you sure you want me to go do this? Because I'm going to tell God exactly what you told me. And then I'm going to come tell you exactly what God told me. So are you sure? (laughs) Because they were not sure. They, they had it. They had an ulterior motive here. They thought they were going to manipulate God and it, and it, It was not a good situation. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. Amen. If we do not even according to all things for which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, They understood that obeying the voice of the Lord was a good thing to do and that it would be well with you, with them, with us, with anyone who will obey the voice of the Lord, their God. But they had their minds made up before they got to the Lord on what they wanted to do. And they expected the Lord to, to, to give them permission to do it. At this point in the book of Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar has sacked Jerusalem and taken Judah into captivity. But the king of Babylon left behind a remnant of Judah in the land. This remnant is attempting to make sense of their newfound life surrounded by turmoil. Jerusalem, along with the temple, has been burned to the ground. The men placed in leadership over them by the king of Babylon are being targeted and killed plunging them further into turmoil. So they get an idea. Let's approach Jeremiah and ask him to go to the Lord on our behalf. Great idea. They indicated in this entire scheme or scam that they were only interested in what God had to say so that they could obey him immediately. Amen. Wonderful. Let's go see what the Lord says. Jeremiah 42. Verses 7 through 22. And it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. Then called he Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest, and said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him, if ye will still abide in this land. That's not what they were expecting to hear. If you will still abide in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. 
Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show mercies unto you that he may have mercy upon you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go into the land of Egypt. That's the ulterior motive. Egypt's looking awfully safe right now. Maybe we can manipulate the Lord into giving us permission to go there. And the Lord comes back and says, no, I want you to stay in the land. If you'll stay in the land and obey me, I'll show the whole world that I can take this tiny little remnant that's left and build you up in this land and and you can fulfill my will in that way. And they said, yeah, but what about Egypt? <laughs> I, I mean, I know the Lord, you're great and everything, but what about Egypt? And, 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 and I know, Lord, you have control of heaven and earth and you can do pretty much whatever you want, but what about what about Egypt? <laughs> so saying no, but we will go into the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there we will dwell. And now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt and go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine whereof ye were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there ye shall die. So shall it be with all the men that set their faces to go into Egypt to sojourn there. They shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the evil that I will bring upon them. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as mine anger and my fury hath been poured forth upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so shall my fury be poured forth upon you when ye shall enter into Egypt, and ye shall be an execration and an astonishment and a curse and a reproach, and ye shall see the see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O ye remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for ye dissembled in your hearts when you sent me unto the Lord your God. He said, you, you did not want to know what God said had to say what God thought his way. You didn't want to know any of that. You thought sending me to God was going to manipulate God into giving a response that you, you had predetermined in your mind. You dissembled in your hearts and God said, I'm not going to have it for yet for you dissembled in your hearts. When you sent me unto the Lord, your God saying, pray for us unto the Lord, our God. And according unto all that the Lord, our God shall say, so declare unto us and we will do it. And now I have this day declared it to you, but ye have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, your God, nor anything for the which he hath sent me unto you. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by the famine and by the pestilence in the place whither you desire to go and sojourn. So this is not going well. This is not what they expected. This is not what they wanted. They were hoping God would give them a pass. God would, um, you know, would, would let them slip into Egypt. Yeah, this, this is a beautiful passage. This whole chapter, missionaries, people who desire to be missionaries and their families should read this chapter. 
you might be saying in your mind, you know, I don't want to leave America where it's safe, where there's food, where there's shelter, where there's comfort, where there's convenience, where there's a, the greatest military power in the world who can't stop a bunch of Stone Age men in Afghanistan and who can't, who can't prevent people from coming across your southern border. You, you see the problem? God can take you and put you in a dangerous place like Judah was in complete turmoil, and he can keep you safe and he can build you up. Or you can disobey God and run off to somewhere where, where you, you think you have great safety because of the political atmosphere, and God will tear it down just to show you you were wrong. Our safety is in obeying the Lord. That doesn't mean we won't have problems. That doesn't mean we won't have trouble. But our safety is in obedience to the Lord. Our help is in obedience to the Lord. There is some merit to identifying the political situation and trying to make good decisions therein. But if those decisions cause you to be in conflict with the word of God, it's the wrong decision. It's not a good decision. Don't do it. So you don't want to be in Judah's position. The Lord responds. The problem is he did not respond with the instruction they were hoping for, that they had predetermined and predecided that God would give them. Somehow we get the idea in our minds that we will obey whatever God says as long as he says to do what I already want to do. That t- it tears churches apart all across the country. Pastors and preachers will tell these people, you know, here's the right way. Well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay, then why don't you come ask? You came and asked because you already had your mind made up and you were going to try and manipulate the preacher into manipulating the word of God into giving you permission to do what you had already decided you wanted to do. That is an ungodly position and you should remove yourself from it. You should repent immediately. These people already had Egypt on their minds, and they assumed the Lord must want them to do what we want to do. I mean, I have this idea. Surely God put it there. Why else would I have such a wonderful idea? It only makes sense. I have an idea. Surely the Lord will agree with my idea. And that's, that's a foolish way to approach God. You see, we don't, we don't try to examine the situation and then think critically about it in, in reference to the word of God. We're not trying to say, okay, here's what God said. How does this fit my situation? How can I obey God in this situation and, and have God's blessing and help and do right? Instead, we, we look at our situation and we say, well, I want to go this way. How can I make God's word say it's okay to go this way? <laughs> and it's a disaster. It's disobedience. And you're going to cause God to set himself against you, your family, your church, your nation. We're seeing it play out all over the world. So let's one person at a time, one family at a time, one nation at a time, one local assembly at a time. Let's remove ourselves from that. And let's, let's do all we can to be obedient to what God said even when it's hard and when we don't understand how doing what God said in his word could be right. I'd I'd imagine Judah looking back at at Jerusalem 
as an ash heap and smoke billowing up in the air. I could see how, oh Lord, are you, <laughs> are you sure this is what you want us to do? But he gave them his promise and God's going to keep his promise. You do what I tell you. You stay here. I, I'll give you mercy. I'll make Nebuchadnezzar give you mercy. I'll build you up in this land. I will protect you. You'll have me, God. Or you can look at Egypt and say, you know, the Republicans are in charge there. Donald Trump was elected Pharaoh. (laughs) Surely everything's going to be great. He's going to make Egypt great again. No, you, you have got to get your hopes off a political system. Conservative, Republican, they don't care about you. They do not care about you. They're trying to resolve political problems. That by its very nature requires a massive level of compromise that Christians will never be comfortable with. Now, I hope the people get in charge who will cause the country to operate freely and efficiently. But if they don't, and it doesn't appear they're going to, you'll not trust another American election. We have joined the rest of the world in the shameful process of fake elections. So why don't you try depending on God and what he says and doing what he says rather than joining the next Republican bandwagon? So the Lord offers them an opportunity to stay in Judah with his help. I am with you. As long as you're going to obey me, I am with you. If you're going to disobey me, I am against you. (laughs) That's the natural order to this world. Live in obedience to God. God is with you. Live in disobedience to God. He created this world. So when you live in disobedience to him, you're not only living in disobedience and, and fighting against reality, but you're fighting against God himself who instituted it all and causes it all to consist. But this remnant already had their hearts set on Egypt. Where there is safety, there is food, there is shelter, there's an interstate bridge I can go hide under. (laughs) The Lord makes very clear to them, if you put your trust in a political system rather than me, I will bring the entire system down just to show you there is no hope there. Could be why Donald Trump lost his election when he had overwhelming support. I understand you're saying, no, it's because they cheated. Maybe. Maybe. He still lost. God's people were not, were not particularly effective under the rule and reign of Donald Trump. It could be that God said, I'm taking down the political system. I'm not saying it is. I'm just telling you that that could very well be. We may have right now exactly what we've asked for. Now, if you can imagine, Barack Obama was so horrible that it ushered in Donald Trump. <laughs> what in the world do you think Joe Biden is about to usher in? I, I think the American people, after Joe Biden is done, if he makes it, <laughs> they might elect a, a three-legged donkey <laughs> just to get rid of that guy. So, you know, it's, you, get, you get what you asked for. You didn't ask for God to, be, to, to rule over you. You didn't want to be obedient to God when you had... You had a booming economy, all the money you needed and more. You had all the freedom you needed and more to go out in the streets and preach the gospel. 
And instead, we all people sat at home and watched football while they were taking a knee and, and insulting your flag and your freedom. You didn't go out and exercise your freedom. You watched others exercise their freedom to show their hatred for your country. And now here we are. Rather than going out in the streets, exercising your freedom to preach the gospel, you sat at home and relaxed. Work. Be strong. Work. Don't fear. That's God's instruction to Judah. I imagine that that would work for you and I if we would put it to work, but or they decided not to stay in Judah. They decided to reject God's protection. Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord, their God, for which the Lord, their God had sent him, sent him unto them, even all these words, then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshaiah and Johanan, the son of Korea and all the proud men, proud men. That's not a good thing. You want to join the proud boys? (laughs) Well, let's see how that works out here. Saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely, the Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there, but Barak the son of Neriah setteth thee against us, for for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. So Johanan the son of Korea and the captains and the forces and all the people obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. But Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all nations, whether they had been driven to dwell in the land of Judah, even men and women and children and the king's daughters. And every person that Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah, they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus they came even unto Tehapanes. So, Not only did they disobey God, they did it in bold and defiant fashion. The proud men. Yeah, go join the proud boys. See how that works out. The Lord reminded them he would absolutely keep his promise. This is what life looks like when we live disobedient lives. It is hectic. It is broken. And God himself may may set himself against you. The way of the transgressor is hard. We will not benefit by by lives of disobedience to God's word. Now, in Haggai's day, they obeyed and they received God's help. In Jeremiah's day, they were defiant. They were disobedient. And God said, I'm going to put you to death. I'm going to fight against you. It's me that you have to worry about. Now, what about God's presence for the New Testament church. How does this apply to us in the New Testament? We have the same promise of God's presence when we are obedient to his word. First John, you want fellowship with God? Walk in the light. Romans 8, uh, walk not in the, in the flesh, but in the spirit. It, it, it's the same idea. It's directly apl- applicable to us. We have no expectation that God will be with us if we're going to live in disobedience. And for the most part, independent Baptist churches are unbelievably giving. They're they're not hurting there. They're doing great there. But they're not going. 
They're not going out into their neighborhoods. They're not going out into the, to, to their neighbor's house and knocking on the door. They're not at work standing up for Jesus Christ. They'll stand up for Donald Trump or, or some Republican talking point, but they will not stand up for Jesus Christ. God is against us. That's not good. So we're thankful for the giving. That's tremendous. But when are you going to start going? When are you going to start preaching the gospel? Telling people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. When will that begin? Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Let's get a snapshot of this as we wrap this up. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I am with you all way, as long as you're doing that, as long as you're teaching all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, I am with you. But if you're not doing that, what expectation should you or I have or the church have that God is with us? Is he going to hang out with us while we're watching football on Sunday? What is that? He's going to be with us while we're dumbing down standards and convictions and biblical truth and watering down the word of God and, and, and just trying to compensate for where we think God is lacking. We think God's going to join us in that? No, you have no expectation that God is going to be with you if you're going to be disobedient to his word. If we fail obey to the Lord, why would we expect the Lord to be with us? If he is in the light and we are walking in darkness, God didn't move. We did. And we're constantly trying. A large section of Christianity is, is dragging the rest of us further out of the light and into the darkness. And, and, and just moving us further and further and further and further out into, into, into outer darkness. I'm not going. Me and my house, we're going to do our best to obey the King James Bible and be faithful to it. We fail in areas, absolutely. But we are going to strive to be obedient. We want God's presence. We want God's help. We do not want to be so disobedient that God turns himself against us and fights against us. No, thank you. We want God's help. We want God's presence. If he instructs us to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, but we disobey that instruction, how can we expect any help from God? It's just reasonable that if you're going to be defiant and disobedient, it's reasonable that God is not going to be there with you when you're doing that. If we live disobedient lives as Christians, we should not only expect the Lord not to be with us, but he may set himself against us. You should fear that. You should be concerned about that. No one wants to receive chastisement from the Lord. But again, this all assumes we are making valid attempts at being obedient to his word. Now, we don't lose our salvation. There's a lot that, that can be implicated in what I'm saying here today. You, you can't lose your salvation. It's not possible. If you're saved, that's it. It's a done deal. But you can be a disobedient child to your father in heaven. And we want to prevent that. We want to do all we can to prevent that. 
The Lord reminded Judah in Haggai chapter 2, my covenant made with you when you came out of Egypt still stands. Judah didn't cease to belong to God. He, he, he told them in Haggai chapter 2, he said, I am with you. By the way, not only am I with you, but the promise I made you when you came out of Egypt. These people didn't come out of Egypt. Their ancestors did. But the promise still held. And your promise of salvation, no matter how disobedient you are, it still holds. You belong to God. But don't be surprised when the chastisement of the Lord comes around and he has to deal with you because of your disobedience. Don't be surprised. Try not to be there. Now, in Haggai's day, day, Judah repented and pleased the Lord. They moved forward with the promise of his presence. In Jeremiah's day, Judah disobeyed the Lord and they were dealt with severely. What about today? What about the church? What about us individually? What about our families? Are we living in a way that would cause the Lord to want to be with us? That's a lot to think about. And I hope you'll sit down and give it some some serious thought. Find out where you are in this situation and then determine to make it right if it's wrong. Let's all do that together. Thank you for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.